these seven signs that we're going through. In, uh, in John's gospel, we're seeing in instances where the power of God intersects with human reality and makes a difference. But also, these miracles that John highlights as signs, they all say something. They point to something about who Jesus is and what he does and what he can do. This morning, a very unorthodox title, but hey, that's, uh, you'll remember this one. Let Jesus into your boat. Some of you say, I can't afford a boat. No worry, you got a boat. Let Jesus into your boat. We're talking about the, the miracle where Jesus walks on the water. We just read about it. We read, read it out of John 6, 16 through 24. And uh, so we, we find ourselves here um, on the heels of what we had read and studied last week when we talked about uh, Jesus there, uh, the, 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 the loaves and the fishes, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and, of course, as you recall, at the end of that, what had happened was that that the crowd was very impressed by the fact that they had been fed. They were very impressed by the fact that, they, that, that apparently the old adage that there's no such thing as a free lunch is not true. There was indeed a free lunch, and it just kept coming and coming. It said in the text that we looked at a little earlier, just right above this in chapter 6, that they ate each one as much as they wanted, and Jesus kept breaking it off and breaking it off and breaking it off and breaking it off. And I'm so glad that that, that really is how Jesus loves and how Jesus gives. Right, there's a an old hymn that talks about his love knowing lo, no limits. It says, "Out of his riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again." How many of you know that he's that kind of God? He's that kind of Lord. He's that kind of Savior. That he is he is not a one-time deal. I came to Jesus, and one time he met my need, but he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives as much as we have need of, and that's what we saw last week. His ability to uh, to uh, worked that miracle of the old creation where he worked through the natural processes and somehow sped up and expedited those processes to the multiplication of those loaves and fishes. The crowd loved that, didn't they? The crowd loved the fact that Jesus was able to, uh, to pull off that miracle. He was able to feed their hungry, their hungry mouths and their souls were hungry, but they have not yet come in touch with that and he's going to later in this chapter after this he'll come back and explain that miracle he has not yet done that but this is the fifth sign that we're talking about here Jesus walking on the water and these signs point to something they signify you know what we talk about what it means to signify well these signs they, they say something they point to something they signify something and so um before he explains the miracle of the loaves and fishes, which he will do because he's going to tie that to a deeper issue of hunger and to himself as the bread of life. Before he does that, another, a further sign here in verses 16 through 22 takes place. Uh, now, this is one of the miracles for which Jesus is most famous. It's, it's a miracle that almost everybody knows about Jesus walking on the water. And it's kind of, it's kind of a, a cultural cliche. We talk about, well, you know, I guess you can walk on water too. Or you'd think that she could walk on water the way she carries herself. You know, it's, it's that idea of, of, of someone with some supernatural power or ability or, some, some, or, or sometimes we use it tongue-in-cheek to refer to people that just seem to have it going on or able to do extraordinary things as walking on water. Everybody knows that at some point, somewhere in the Bible, they may not know where it is, right? They may not know uh, the, the chapter and verse. They may not even know whether it's in the... Some folks don't even know if Jesus is in the Old Testament or New Testament. 
Those are the ones that still think that God helps those who help themselves is somewhere in the Bible. And cleanliness is next to godliness. But, but, but what, what happens here, that everybody knows about this, and, and they, they know that Jesus walked on water, and that, that, this miracle is recorded here in John, and it's also in Matthew and Mark, not in Luke. But it's, it's, it's famous. And so now what happens here in John's account of this, John's gospel is written some 30, maybe 40 years after the synoptic gospels were written. And so John doesn't feel the need to provide quite as many details about this, this, this account because his readers would have already read them in Matthew's gospel, probably in Mark's gospel. Um, so he gives us a real, a real concise and focused treatment of Jesus walking on the water, and he omits certain things. Like John doesn't talk about Peter trying to do his thing. He gives us the bare bones, but, but it's important. The Holy Spirit has something to, out of John's account in this context of, of the seven signs to teach us about, about Jesus and, about it, and the implications of this for our lives as well, right? Are you with me? Yes. Are you awake? And so... So evening has fallen, it's night, and so Jesus, now you remember after the miracle of the loaves and fishes, they basically bum, or were trying to bum rush Jesus. They wanted to literally kidnap him and make him, take him by force to be king. They wanted to make him king, kidnap him really, because they, they like what he's doing, and they have a, pre, a preconceived notion of, what, of who they expect Jesus to be. And you know, a lot of, a lot of us have a preconceived notion of what we hope Jesus is like what we want him to be, who we want him to be, and how we want him to respond to us. And we put him in the place in the category in our lives where we think he best fits in the, in the cubbyhole. And Jesus cannot be so classified and, and so cordoned off into some narrow space in your life that you have, you have prescribed for him. You, you don't define Jesus. Jesus defines you. Yeah, right? You don't define him. He defines you. Uh, they've, they've, they, really, they, they thought they knew what they needed. We think we know what we need. They thought they needed a political leader to come and to break the back of Roman, Roman uh, rule in their region and to restore them to their national prominence and, and dignity and pride and, and freedom and independence. That's what they thought they needed. They needed a king. They needed a ruler. They needed a charismatic and powerful and strong uh, political leader that would lead the people into... into uh, into independence and freedom from, from Roman occupation. Uh, sometimes we think we know what we need as well, right? Some of you think you need uh, a man or a woman. Uh, I got real quiet in here when I said that. And maybe you do. But for some of you, 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 might, need some, you might need a romantic encounter at this point in your life like you need a hole in the head. Because you have, if you haven't got yourself together... You are not in a position to help nobody else get themselves together. And guess what? No, uh, no, 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 nobody else is going to get you together but God and you working in concert with his spirit and his word. Some of you think that if you, and I know we, we all would like to have this fellow. His name is Mo. His last name is Money. <laughs> we would like to have Mo Money. And, 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 I, and I understand that need and that, that concern. Some of us are trying to do better things by way of taking care of our families and, and uh, preparing for our future more, more, more thoroughly and that kind of thing. But for some of us, we think that's all we need. If I could just get some more money, everything would be well. And Jesus might say to you, that's not 
at the top of your list. And that's, I'm not, I'm not just the banker of heaven. I'm something else. There's something else in your life that you need that's, that's great, deep. For some of you, he was, he's like, for them, he was, he was a, a celestial caterer, and, his, and he demonstrates his power, and they go, this guy must be special. Let's put him in the place we want him to be. So Jesus basically has to kind of get away from that crowd. But what he does, it says in, in verse 16, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat because Jesus basically is sending them off. And so he says, you know, you go on ahead of me. So they go down to, to the lake. They get into a boat and they set off across the lake uh, for Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, it's called as well. It's basically a large freshwater lake. They set off across the lake for, uh, for Capernaum. And by now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. They have been separated. They go on. They are by themselves. Jesus had not yet come. He is not with them. They are by themselves. He is back where they left him, he has probably gotten off alone and sent them on ahead. And it's dark, and it's and you know how it is. It's dark. They can no longer see the shore. And one commentator suggests that the observation of darkness express, expresses potentially a, a, a somewhat of an underlying mood of discouragement, because in this moment there might be a little bit of angst because of the the reaction, because of the the miracle of the loaves and fishes. But then the reaction of the crowd, and then Jesus kind of pulling up pulling aside and and then wondering out of all of this what's next I know you think if you were in this story you would just be elated because they had 12 baskets of bread and fish but but they are treading uncharted territory in their journey and their experience with Jesus and understand this they do not yet fully understand who he is as well and we see this all through the gospels and John makes it plain that people don't get it and his disciples are slow to get it. They don't realize really who they're doing. So, you know, it's dark and you can imagine just that it's, it's, it's kind of a foreboding moment. And so they get out onto the lake. Uh, I don't know about this because they didn't, you know, like now if you had a boat, you have lights on the boat, you know, you can, you got, you can see stuff and people can see you and, and stuff. But I just, you're going out on a dark lake on a dark night and then so they get out there and it says in the next says it says a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough and so you know they get on the lake a strong storm is brewing and now storms in this on this lake were common there was something about the way the wind would blow out of the north and come down through the mountain passes there and come across this lake blow, blow, blowing from the north to the south. And, and so they're trying to go across, I believe it was from west to east. And, and so you can imagine the challenge of possibly being blown off course. These storms were, were frequent and common, but they were known, and they're still known in this region as being very frightening. Right. We think about, I think about... Um, the fact I know that when, during in the winter, you know, when we have winter storm watch, you know, we might have, you know, L.A. is storm watch is drizzling. Storm watch. Yeah, Bill, I'm out here, and I think I felt a drop of rain on my head. I think I see a cloud the size of a man's hand there. But, you know, when it's really, you know, when the marine warnings, the, the, the uh, you know, they're saying, you well, know, point conception to, to San Diego, there's going to be small craft warnings. And, you know, you know, people are out there on boats in storms trying to go from here to Catalina on their little motorboat or their sailboat, and they end up, you know, hurt somewhere. We understand that. We understand that on the ocean storms, you know, storms come up. But, but uh, on lakes, this happens as well. 
I heard Charles Stanley one time talking about being on, I think, one of the Great Lakes on a, in, with a friend on a fishing expedition and, and a storm coming up and literally capsizing their boat, and they're out there in the water. I've heard people, uh, my, 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 one of my former pastors years ago talked about being on Lake Elsinore back in the day because they used to spend a time, you know, Lake Elsinore doesn't look like it has much water in it anymore, especially right now. All the lakes are kind of drying up around California. And, but I remember this story about being on Lake Elsinore, and all of a sudden, you know, you got a, a little weather system coming through, and the, and the storm comes up, and, and it is frightening and scary in the daytime. And people get hurt, and people get, people get, get capsized and drowned on lakes during, during, during these, these kinds of storms. But the, the Sea of Galilee here, this was common, and, and, and they were really, there were some scary storms. There's a lot of, even in, 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 in the literature about, about the climate and about the microclimates and about the way in which these storms would happen. And so they're out there and they've lost sight of the, sh- of the shore. You know, you, you, know what, you know what that's like to lose sight of, 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 of the shore. You lose your bearings, right? And uh, they, they lose sight of the shore and, and this wind is coming down and it says a strong wind was blowing and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. Now, it says a strong wind was rowing, the waters grew rough. They rowed about three or four miles. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, doing what? Walking on the water. And they were frightened. Matthew's account, he uses these literal words, fear clutched at their hearts. You can imagine, and I know some of you, you, you really, some of you guys are really you, you really, people, men and women of faith and power, say, if that was me, I would have seen Jeff say, hallelujah, glory, I would have been shouting, there come Jesus. You put yourself out on a, on a dark night in the middle of a, of, a, of a lake with a storm brewing, and last time you saw Jesus was over on the land somewhere, and all of a sudden you see him out on the water. I don't care if it's Jesus, your mama, me, or whoever. If you see somebody walking to you, because folks don't normally walk on the water. This is not something you have, they have ever seen, something you have, you, if you saw somebody walking on the water, it was because they knew where the rocks were. <laughs> I, I read a joke, and, I, and I, I, I excluded it from my notes, but it, it had to do with a young Irish kid who, the, the legend in his family was that his, his, his uncle, his father, and his grandfather, all on their birthdays, basically, they, they walked on water, and they walked across the lake, and they had their first drink at their 18th birthday. Because, you know, anybody Irish in here? <laughs> they, they have a certain penchant for, for the sauce, right? And so he, so this kid, he turns eighteen, and and he 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 goes and he goes out to the to the to the to the to the water's edge. He says, "Okay, here I'm gonna do what what, what legend says. My, my my uncle, my father, my grandfather, they all did this. And here I go." And he steps out and he, he splashes in in the water over his head. He gets out all wet. And he goes back to his grandma. He says, "Grandma, I don't understand." This, this legend, it can't be true. I tried it, and, 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 and this didn't work. I mean, what's going on here? And so his grandmother slapped him. <laughs> Boom. And she said, listen, you got to figure this out. You're not thinking straight. Your uncle, your grandfather, and your father were all born in January. You were born in August. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> 
frozen. <laughs> so they did walk on water, frozen water. <laughs> now, sometimes when someone says, well, you know, Jesus is the only one who ever walked on water. But if you read Matthew's account, so there's one other person that, that did it just for a minute. What was his name? Peter walked on water, and Peter started out boldly and confident. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come on the water. He's like, okay, come on. And he's like, hey, this is cool. Yo, and all of a sudden he said, wait a minute. What if I do it? I, I. And he began to sink, and he cries. One of the most powerful and shortest prayers in the Bible. Let me, I'm going to give you, can I give you a prayer lesson? I'm going to give you, a, this, I'm going to put this, insert this inside the message. This is a prayer lesson. When you need, when you're in trouble and you need God, um, you don't have to say, you know, you don't have to go and find a long, lengthy soliloquy. You can do say what, what Peter said. Help. You know what? Aren't you glad that he, when you just, some, you don't have to. That's why, first of all, we do not know how to pray as we ought, Romans 8 says, but the Spirit makes intercession for us. And sometimes all you can do is say, Help. But you know what? When you cry out help, Jesus will reach out and pull you up out of your sinking situation. And Jesus says to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Peter walked on water for a minute, but not very long, and nobody else has done this. But this, so then what happens is he goes on and says, that they, they, they uh, see him walking on water, and they're frightened. They're, uh, they're frightened. They're afraid. I can understand that in the darkness of the night, in the midst of this storm. This, the, the, and, and, and see, sometimes you think that when Jesus comes to you, he comes to you always in a way that, that, that engenders love and confidence and, 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 and warm, fuzzy feelings. But sometimes when God comes, sometimes when Jesus approaches you, sometimes you don't recognize the way in which he's coming. And sometimes even his approach and his presence can be, can be intimidating and, and fear-provoking in our lives. And so, he, you know, he, what is happening is that all of this that we're seeing, this, this, this walking on the water, is designed in the midst of this storm to teach his disciples something and to teach us something about the resources that are available to us if we would dare to turn to the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. The resources and the power that are available to us. And he, so he says to them, in his eye, be not afraid. Talk about that in a moment. Then they were finally glad to take him into the boat. Their fears were relieved when they realized who it was, that it was him, right? And notice this. It says they were willing to take him into the boat. So they take Jesus into the boat, right? I guess that's the right thing to do. Jesus is walking on water. Well, Jesus, I don't know if we want you in here because you don't you bring your feet are wet. You know, I don't know. Okay, it's really Jesus. Come on in. And then look at what happens. It says, he took him into the boat. And then it says, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. 
instantaneously they were where they were on their way to. And what we see here apparently is a, a further demonstration of Christ's power. Not only has Christ walked on the water to them, and evidently we get the sense that he's calmed the storm, it's implied, because no further mention is made of it, but through Christ's power, all of a sudden they were out there in the midst of the darkness, out there in the midst of the storm, out there in the midst of the water. Jesus walks to them. Jesus, they invite him into their boat, and all of a sudden they're sitting on a dock or a bay. In one moment, they're toiling and rowing and struggling and stressing and striving, trying to get across the lake in the midst of the situation. Matthew confirms that it's 3 a.m. They're 3 a.m. in the morning. That's like full day in the morning. Zero dark 30. They're out there in the middle of the lake, far south of their intended course, blown off course. The weather started getting rough. The tiny boat was tossed. And they see Jesus walking on the water. They're frightened. They take him into the boat. Now, modern thinkers, those of a theologically liberal bent who uh, like to demythologize Scripture and strip it of the miraculous because they don't believe in the miraculous, and they, 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 they suggest, somebody suggests this, they said, well, what happened was they were on the boat and Jesus was walking, they were about 100 yards from the shore, and Jesus was walking along the shore, and so they saw Jesus, sure, they saw Jesus walking along the water, right? And, but he was just walking on the shore, but to them, it looked like he was walking in the water. And I guess to him, it looked like they were paddle surfing, I don't know. <laughs> they were taking this course, it would not have been far from the shore, he's standing beside the sea, and it looked as though he was standing on. Then what were they afraid of? Yo, there's Jesus on the shore. Show looked like he's walking in the water. That, misses, that, would, that, would, that would defy the whole point of John bringing this out. John, John makes it very, there's something about what happened that made them afraid because something special and something supernatural, something that was beyond human reason and human power was taking place. Why were they afraid? They were terrified. Because Mark put it like this, they thought they were seeing a ghost, an apparition, and they didn't know if it was a friendly ghost. <laughs> and knowing Jesus, to go a little bit further, rather than just rationalizing, well, it, could, it couldn't have been a real miracle, it was just, it was just an illusion that Jesus was standing on the shore. Hey guys, here I am, everything's going to be good, it's cool, alright? They knew Jesus, and and, and so surely they could at least at some point wrap their arms around the fact that he was capable of a miracle, yet they, in the moment, didn't quite know who he was. And so I think that the evidence is strong. Everything about this account confirms the fact that it is indeed a very real miracle and a very real demonstration of Jesus' power over and above the forces of nature. And so once again, the faith of the disciples here is challenged. Now, faith is not just a state of psychological certainty or something you kind of gin up by saying something to yourself a whole lot of times to you kind of halfway, you know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can. But faith is a mindset, one that expects God to appear and to act. 
And then when we act on that expectation, then, what, then we as the disciples are enabled to overcome our fears. And we say, well, why were they afraid? Because they're in the middle of the lake, far from the shore. They're not 100 yards off the shore seeing Jesus walking. Hey, if, if the storm keeps blowing, I might get there for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Darkness has fallen 3 a.m. potentially. The storm is blowing. And then they see somebody walking not far from the boat, out in the middle of the water. And then they're scared. And then Jesus gets into the boat finally because they recognize him. They, they invite him into the boat. And then, immediately, they reach the shore where they were heading. They catch this one, one, one further point. It reminds me of this because Jesus told them to go on ahead of him. He told them to get in that boat. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't like out on a fishing expedition. They weren't out on a pleasure cruise. It wasn't a, sight, it wasn't a sightseeing harbor tour wasn't a three-hour tour. Well, it probably ended up being that. didn't set out to be that. Jesus told them where he wanted them to go. And this is what this reminds me. Notice when he, got, when he got in the boat, immediately they were where they were supposed to be. Remember this, if you remember not much else I say today. Jesus will get you to where he wants you to be. Jesus told them to get into the boat he knew the storm was coming. He sent them, you know, they were to go on ahead of him. But notice he, that he, by his presence and his involvement, he got them where he wanted them to be. If he wants you to get to the shore, you'll get there. If he wants you to get to a certain place of peace and joy in your life, if you, put, if you invite and allow Jesus into your boat, you'll get there. And in spite of terrifying circumstances in your life, in my life, Christ can give us peace in any storm, and Christ can bring us safely to our destination, safely to the harbor if we allow him into the boat. Now, with regard to this strange and miraculous event, C.S. Lewis we quoted him last week with regard to the miracle of loaves and fishes. Well, he calls this miracle a miracle of the new creation, whereas last week we noted that he called the miracle of the 5,000 because he had written a book. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about miracles, and very, it was, a very, he's a very prof, was a very profound Christian thinker, an apologist. And uh, he wrote concerning the 5,000 and the bread and the fishes as a miracle of the old creation. Because what happens is, uh, first of all, notice that in the previous miracle, Jesus fed a mixed crowd. There were believers and unbelievers. There was just folks, and everybody was there got, got a sandwich. I just, I conflated that. I figured you got bread and you got fish, you just put them together, man. Get a little sriracha on there, you know what I'm saying? And uh, it, it was a miracle of the old, everybody... Believer, unbeliever, like everybody got served by that miracle. And what it was was a manipulation of the natural order and the, the old creation. Jesus used natural objects, bread and fish, and just, just expedited and sped up the process of multiplication to feed a mixed crowd of unbelievers and believers in the supernatural things of the natural world. But Lewis refers to this miracle of Jesus walking on the water as a miracle of the new creation by which he means 
the invisible realm of life, the invisible realities that are present in your life and in my life as believers in Christ. And so this miracle was intended only for those who believe. It was done in the presence of the disciples exclusively, unlike the feeding of the 5,000, which was intended for everybody who happened to be there. And it is to, it's to teach believers that resources are available to them to quiet the agony of uncertainty and anxiety that often grips us in the time of trouble. Now, let's talk about trouble. I, I won't cite trouble man because I don't want to get sued. <laughs> if this year is anything like every year that is, has, has happened before this year, we, that's you and me, will encounter inevitably our share of tremendous challenges, both individually and collectively. I hate to, to be the bearer of bad news, but this is, the, this is not bad news as much as it's real news. And that is this, that some of us will face very frightening circumstances in our lives. Very intimidating moments, whether it's in our homes, whether it is through sickness and disease, whether it is, it is it's death around us, or whether it is through accident or, or war. Because, you know, all around us there are wars and rumors of wars, right? Whether it is through moral decay or corruption or, or, dis, or, or whatever might befall any of us in this corrupt and evil world because we're still, until Jesus comes again and sets everything right, evil is still present in the world and we still live in this, in this environment. And we may all find, any one of us may at any time, find ourselves in a sea of trouble like these disciples. Find ourselves... In a situation where we are frightened, where when it is that we're in the darkness of night and it's 3 a.m. in the morning and we're trying to navigate our way through a certain situation and the storms of life are blowing against us and we, we, we and threaten to blow us off course and we find ourselves deviating, that, that happens to real people like you and me, doesn't it? It happens to us all. I know that if I was a really anointed preacher, whatever that means, and, and that, that, that I, would, I, would be, I, would, I would be telling you how I always, just, I always rise above all the vicissitudes of life, and I just get, I get on my holy horse and ride all over. But let me tell you something. I, I've been married for a long time. I've quit, quit, quit citing numbers up in here because I don't want you all to know all my business. I, I've, I've raised a family, and I've, we've worked jobs for years and tried to we survive and live and, and thrive like you. We're all in that same boat. And, and let me tell you something. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And I've been through some wonderful times, and I've had some, some hard times. There have been some dark, some dark and lonely nights, and some, some times when I was perplexed. It happens to everybody. That, that's real, and so let's be real about it. It and prepare ourselves and prepare each other and, and stay connected to each other because we may all find ourselves in trouble and we out there rowing trying to get to shore or either that or you waiting for your ship to come to you you say I'm waiting for my ship to come in some of you it's a cruise ship some of you it's a battleship some of you it's a dinghy <laughs> bring it on but, but, but Jesus what he's saying to his disciples here is this and he says this to us as well. It may be that in the moment that which is really frightening you, that it's which is scaring you really is me. Go back to the text. The real point of fear was not the storm. The storm was a point of treachery and, 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 and intimidation and, and difficulty in their rowing. But what really scared 
them crazy was Jesus because they didn't recognize him. And sometimes in our lives, God's working in our lives are scary to us because we don't recognize him. And sometimes he is doing things and saying things and appearing to us and working through other people in our lives and demonstrating his grace in ways that we don't recognize. And we, we find ourselves consumed with fear because he comes to us in ways that we don't understand. Do you hear me? But listen, he wants you to know this just like he told him. Don't be afraid. It is I. It's only me. Oh, not it's only me, but it is me. In the text, and he does this, and John highlights this. He uses this language. He uses the the language in the Greek. It's ego and me, which which literally is I. I am, and it's and it's it's a literal transliteration from the the words of when God reveals Himself in the Old Testament as. I am that I am. I am the self-existent one. And he says, listen, don't worry. I am me. This is me. Don't fear. Don't worry. He says, I'm coming to you in and through your circumstances. You're waiting for him to push the circumstance out of the way. You're waiting for him to calm the storm. He says, I come to you in the midst of the storm, and my presence calms the storm. You're waiting for him to, but he'll come to you in and through the circumstance. And you don't need to be afraid of nothing. Jesus says, I am in charge of it. I may have even chosen this path for you. The disciples were where he had intended them to be. Just because, and I I try to help people understand this. Talking about, about church stuff and talking about ministry. You might, just because things are, your situation don't look like somebody else and you ain't blowed up like somebody else and because maybe you struggle, that doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. People, it is ignorant when we look at people who are suffering and struggling and striving and having difficulty. You say, well, you must not be doing something right. Sometimes what's happening is that you're going through the storm because you decided to step out and go across the lake when the other folks decided to stay on the shore where it was safe and you got in your boat with your oars and said, I'm going to go for it. God may have, Jesus may have even chosen this path for you. Therefore, you don't need to be afraid. They were afraid of the storm, but it seems that they were really initially more afraid of Jesus because they did not recognize him. So as John reflects on this, it's like Jesus has deliberately set this up for the disciples. He's chosen this for them. He sends them off almost against their will in a sense into this dark night because I'm sure they would have probably rather camped out on the shore and waited for the light of day. He deliberately delays his coming. He hadn't showed up yet, it says. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. And so they go into the dark night so that they might learn what he can do and how he will come to us in times of trouble. And so if our faith finally gets to the place where the disciples' place faith ends up, and we take him into the boat, it's analogous to us welcoming him into our circumstance. See, some of you still haven't welcomed Jesus into your boat. You've got your situation, your circumstances, you, 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 and you, 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 you in essence, saying, oh, Jesus, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying to you, I'm talking to you about it, but I got this. Just let me row a little bit harder. Let me just, let me just go. I, I think I can make it. You haven't given up. Some of you haven't come to the point where you've given up yet. 
But we take him into the boat. We welcome him into our circumstance. We suddenly find ourselves on the other side then of, of the waters of difficulty. And then we find ourselves steadied and strengthened at peace. And we find that we've arrived at the goal not by our toiling and rowing and huffing and puffing and stressing and straining, but by taking Jesus into our circumstance, into our boat. So John has reduced this story to essentials so that we understand how it ties in with the miracle of the loaves and fishes. And we see that he's the God of the old creation who can manipulate that stuff, but he's the God of the new creation who can come with supernatural power in the midst of every situation over and above anything in this natural order. He can work with the natural order or he can supersede it and work above it. But it's his presence. Now, Now think about this. It's his presence in this situation, you know, it is his presence that delivers us from fear, particularly once we know who he is. That's why you want to really cultivate your relationship with Jesus so that you know him and you recognize his voice and you understand his word and you, you have this ongoing relationship and, and communion with him, this dialogue with him. Where, and, and I'm not talking about just where you get on your knees and try to say a few words, but where you, maybe you engage in some listening prayer where you talk to Jesus a little bit and then you shut up and listen to see what he might say to you. Or you pray with your Bible open and you take some of those verses that you're mulling over and you begin to pray around them and over them and, and then you quietly sit there and say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? And you get, a, you get attuned to that still, small, quiet voice. But it's his presence that delivers us from fear, isn't it? See, when I was a, a youngster or a kid, I'm still a youngster, but when I was a kid, we, we moved to Carson at a certain point, and we, my parents bought a new home. It was just built, and I was a little guy. And it, it, was out, it was out in an area where there wasn't anything but oil fields. Now this Cal State Dominguez and all that stuff and all this. That was all when I was a kid. There was nothing there. It was like little rolling hills and, and, and hay growing, and cows would gra- graze through there. You'd be down on Avalon and down near Albert Tony is now where the 91 and they'd be walking cows across the street sometimes. And so we're out there and I remember at night it'd be, it'd be scary for me. And then the house, because it was new, it, was, it would make these noises because it was still settling, these creaks. And then we were out there and the people started kind of breaking into the neighborhood because it was kind of out there. It was, you know, just, you know. And I'd be scared sometimes at night. And my dad would work nights sometimes because he had a, a business where he had to do that. But when got, but one thing I looking back, I, I came with that group. I realized something. I was never afraid when Dad was home. I was ne- never, ever, never thought about nothing. When, when when my dad was in the house, when he was there, and I've told some of you this before. I think also, my dad used to pack, so that helped a little bit. But because <laughs> he was in the security business, and he's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I have I have a picture, black and white photo. I'm like two, one year old, right? And my dad's sitting at the table, and he has a little two-inch barrel th- Smith and Wesson 38, model 37 on his little. He has a little shirt and tie on, and, and he has it like over here. And, and and I'm standing, I'm going like this. I'm saying, well, what am I applauding? The dude with the gun. <laughs> but I was never afraid when he was there. I was never afraid when Dad was home. You, you get what I'm, and, and so what, what God wants us to realize is you don't, if Jesus is with you and when Jesus is in your life and when his presence is there, you have nothing to fear. David understood that, didn't he? 
He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Man, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death every day. You drive through it. You live in it. You walk through it. You ride the bus through it. Look at this environment in which we live. I read the paper every day and all of the places where people get blown away. I know that corner. I know that intersection. I know that neighborhood. I wonder if so-and-so all right. They live there. I wonder is that one of my son's friends. I wonder who that is. We live, we dwell in the valley of the shadow of death. But no matter where you live on this planet, death is all around you. Storms rage all around you strife and struggle and strain everywhere but David said listen I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death it looms all over me he says I will fear no evil why because he says for you are with me you are with me and so we can live above fear not because we're smart I know, I know you're very intelligent people out there right not because we're resourceful, not because we got a rich uncle. I told, I think I said somebody yesterday, I said, I don't know anything about rich, I know about, I had a drunk uncle. <laughs> I didn't have a rich uncle. But if you have one, that's not why we don't fear. But we live above fear because Jesus has promised to be with us. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even to the ends of the age, I will be with you. He says, and not only that, I am the Lord of the storm. I have dominion over the powers of nature. I have dominion over the powers of darkness, dominion over sin. When I rose from the grave, I had the keys, the death, hell, and the grave in my hand. I stand above all of that madness. But we got to let Jesus into our boat. We got to recognize his presence in the midst of our storms. Somebody needs to let, let him into the boat. Let me tell you, on the... With regard to the church at large, the church of Jesus Christ in the world today, the church in America, for instance, that part of the, of the, of the global commun, commun, communion of Christians, sometimes we find ourselves rowing against the winds of change and the, against the, 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 the evil influences in, in the world around us. We're rowing and we're pushing and we're struggling in, in the storms that, that, are, that are raging in the culture that all around us, the things that are changing, the things we don't understand, that our challenge to maintain our witness, our challenge to maintain our viability in the world as the church. And sometimes when Jesus shows up in the midst of our struggle, we don't even recognize Jesus because we, we're creating Jesuses that don't look like the real one that we're supposed to be following. And what we need to do is let him in the boat. Because if we let him in the boat as the church, if we allow him to, to, to get in the boat, then all of a sudden we'll get to where we need to be without so much struggling and striving and stressing. And we can walk in love and walk in power and walk in faith and walk in joy and walk in peace as the church. I think there's sometimes too much angst. We're letting, this, we're letting it get us down. Oh, it's so rough. It's so bad. Well, you know, it was rough in the first century. Try living your faith in the midst of the Roman Empire. Right. Right. Let's go down to the Colosseum and watch them throw some Christians to the lions before they go to the orgy. That's what they were living. And people are trying to do their faith in the midst of that madness. In every age, there's been sin and decadence and wickedness and war and rumors of war and genocide and killing and murder and hatred. 
Oh, but the church realizes we have a power that, is, that, that supersedes all of that. And we let Jesus into the boat and, and we realize, he says this, you take my yoke upon me and learn from me because I'm meek and lowly and you will find rest for your souls. It's not your battle. It's not your thing. The battle is the Lord's. So as the church, we need to, we need to allow Jesus to take his rightful place. We need to acknowledge him and recognize him. But then as individuals, some of us are are rowing, we're struggling, we're striving. It's, it's 3 a.m. and we're trying to get from here to the other side. Get that promotion, get that job, get that house, get that car, get that husband and that wife. I'm trying to get that, find some satisfaction. And then some of you go back and you're thinking about the Rolling Stones. Bad, <laughs> bad teeth, bad grammar. I can't get no satisfaction. And you won't get no satisfaction. Because there's only, the only satisfaction you as a child of God will find is in Jesus. Let him in the boat. And he comes to you on the water and he's speaking words of comfort. He says, fear not. This is me. This is me. Because for all of that rowing and struggling and tussling, once Jesus got into the boat, again, they instantaneously made it to the other side. And we labor so hard in our own strength. We might, you might be surprised just how quickly the answer will come when you allow Jesus to take control of your situation and quit trying to wrestle the circumstances around you in your own strength. I'm almost done this morning and now it's this afternoon. But I wonder why sometimes we don't believe this. Why do we struggle with this? Why don't we reach out by faith and receive that help? We're a lot more. See, don't, I don't, don't go off on, on Peter, right? You know, Peter, he was somebody. That Peter, he was a trip. Because you know, in your New Testament biographies, you have the worst one for you is Judas, right? But then, and then Peter's not that far down. But he's, he's, you know, you look at him with a little bit of a jaundiced eye because it's like, that Peter, he's always mouthing off. That Peter, he, he denied the Lord. Good thing the Lord had mercy on him and, 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 and forgave him and restored him. But he, that Peter was something else. Uh, he looked at him out there on the water. He didn't even have enough faith. Jesus said, oh, you little faith. Said, Listen, you're a whole lot more like Peter than you would care to admit if you really knew it. All of us are. We are. We're, we're much more like him than we realize. See, there are some believers who have discovered the secret of trust. They discovered the secret of, 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 of placing their faith in Jesus and, 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 and letting go of the fear and letting Jesus into their situation, into the boat. And those believers, guess what? Those are the ones that, you know, you look at some people and you can tell that they've kind of already made it to the shore in a sense with regard to joy and peace. You know, the people that, the people, the, man, aren't, aren't you blessed by the people around you that don't go crazy and fall apart every time things don't go well? You know, sometimes when you, you're, you're freaking out, right? I remember one time, and I don't think my kids remember this, but, you know, you have two girls and a boy, and the boy's the baby. So, you know, and they're all three years apart. And at the time, Charles was, pro- Charles was probably, 
Charles was probably about, he was just old enough to be a, a, an annoyance, so probably two. <laughs> so that mean Angie was about five, and Alicia was about eight. Alicia was always the voice of reason, the, the big sister from the beginning. She was always that way. Uh, I have a picture I snapped. They had their pretty Easter dresses on, and I, have, I had a camera, and, and, and then Angie goes and plops down on the, on the, on the sidewalk, and, and Alicia turns to her like, Angie! And I snap the picture. And it's like, it's just, she's looking like this, and she's like, and it's like, it, it, it epitomized their relationship. <laughs> I, I guess you've moved beyond that now, right? <laughs> but, but there was the little brother who, at two years old, was, was prone to, two years old, uh, two year olds are prone to freak out, right? Right? Any two years old, two year olds in the house? No. <laughs> And so I remember one time, I mean, Charles, he was two, and he just started going on a thing. You know? And Angie just said, easy does it, Charles, easy does it. <laughs> I'm like, where'd you get that from? <laughs> and sometimes you need those people around you. You know, you just look and say, well, you know, it's all, it's going be all right. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't get your dandruff up about it or whatever they say. You know, don't don't get bent out of shape. Just relax, take it easy. God's got this. But and sometimes I know you get mad at those people, don't you? Because you think that they're being superficial and 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 we're so jaded that we that when people really kind of have that relationship with Jesus, we think they're phony. I wonder is that phony. I wonder is it phony when you fail to trust Him and don't let Him in your boat and think that you can handle it by you, which is phony. I mean, it's phony if it's just empty, you know, empty, empty platitudes. But for the, there's some people that really, I think, have really come to kind of realize, you know what? If I give this to God, he really can handle it. And if I just kind of leave things in his hands, he will take care of it. And if I take those promises in scripture, if I take them, if I take God at his word, he really does come through. And so I tell people, you know, maybe they tell people, hey, just chill out. It's going to be all right. Yeah. But, you know, hang in there. Don't give up. Don't freak out. Easy does it. Easy does it. There are, there are some folks like that, and I want to be that kind of person. Do you? I, I want to develop that kind of faith. I want to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. I want to recognize him in the midst of the storm, and I want to let him into my boat so that I can get to that place of joy, of peace, and resting in his promises. That, that's what the hymn we sang this morning is talking about. It's because some of these hymns come out of a 19th century kind of a, a, a Methodist framework or a, 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 a certain view of sanctification that, that, that embraces the fact that we can come to a place where we learn to rest upon and trust in his promises. And there's a zone that we can get into. It's crazy. We don't teach that anymore. We're just like, well, you know, we're going to always be just total maniacs until we go to heaven. But some of the believers in generations past believe that I could learn to trust Jesus and take him at his word and rest upon his promise and know that thus saith the Lord. And then I could come to the place and say, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him over and over. Precious Jesus, oh, for faith to trust him more. The last stanza says, I'm so glad I learned to trust him. So maybe we should make that as a goal and an objective for our lives. Lord, I want to learn to trust you in the midst of the storm. I want to let you into my boat. I want to learn to recognize you when you come to me in the midst of the storm and the darkness of night so that I'm not afraid, but I realize that as long as you're with me, everything is going to be okay. In spite of all the terrifying circumstances in life, 
Jesus can give us peace in the midst of the storm. And so this fifth sign of John points to the fact that he is Lord over nature. Amen. He's Lord over creation. He's Lord over the storms in our lives. And he's Lord of the new creation. Able to subdue by his supernatural power all things working outside of the natural order to achieve his purposes on behalf of those who would place their fate in his hands. He stands in authority over all the chaos all around you. He's the Lord over the storm. He's the Lord over the chaos. He's the Lord over the craziness. Jesus is Lord over everything. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. I, I don't care what it looks like in your situation. I'm almost done. We're getting ready to take this home. Amen. <laughs> I don't care what your situation looks like. I do care about you. I love you. We love each other. I care about what you're going through. But I'm telling you, irrespective of what your situation is, what your station is, what you're going through, what your plight, how dark it seems, how dismal your future may appear, Jesus is in control. I know this because the word of God testifies to that. And so what you do is, man, these are turbulent times. I know they are. They, they are. But in the midst of turbulent times, what you do is you put your trust in him. Oh, because I want to quit. Because you see, I, this is really interesting how this stuff hooks up. But Psalm 107, verses 23 through 30. Psalm 107 is a cool psalm because it's like, it talks about, you know, it's, it's a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. And it gives all these scenarios where people go through all these crazy life circumstances, and, but then God brings them out. And so there's a part a little bit further down, beginning at verse 23, where he talks about, he says, Some went off to sea in ships. Plying the trade routes of the world, they too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed, amen, <laughs> to the heavens <laughs> and plunged again to their depths. You get the picture? Ships, you know, the tiny ship was tossed, right, to, to, to the heavens and plunged to the depths. Their sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. And that's what Jesus does in this story that we read in this account in John. And that's what he wants to do in our lives if we will but let him into the boat. You may feel adrift on the sea of life. You may feel besieged by the tumultuous waves of the storms that rage all about you. But all you got to do is cry like Peter. Help. Somebody just turn to your neighbor and say, help. Or in the... Or in the words of Psalm 107, 28, Lord, help. So Peter had a biblical precedence for his short prayer. Help. He can save you from the distress. He can calm the storm to a whisper. He can still the, still the waves. He can bring you safely into harbor. So do it. Amen. Let's stand.